Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Amen, amen. And that is what we believe, and that is who God is, the way maker. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about God making a way in the midst of the wilderness. And so today, our journey with the Israelites takes us to Exodus chapter 20 and also Exodus chapter 32. So I have two scriptures for today. So Exodus 23 through 6 and Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third or fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And moving on to Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. Lord, we pray for your peace, your presence, your love. Lord, as, as, as we are here Lord, we just pray that, that any distractions would, that, that would separate us from you would just be just eliminated so that we can focus and hear the, our truth that you have for us today. Because we do believe that you are the way maker, you are the truth, and you are the life itself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who, if I'm driving down the road and there is a traffic jam, I am much more likely to exit the traffic jam, go miles out of my way, instead of sitting and waiting my way through, hoping that it will end quickly. Life feels better when we are on the move, doesn't it? And we do not like waiting at all. And at no point in time in human history have we lived in such an instantaneous world. I mean, I don't know about you, but at the beginning of all this pandemic and Amazon Prime was, you know, like a day or two slower than it was supposed to be, like that just messed up my whole world. It's like, what do you mean it's not going to be here by Wednesday? It's supposed to be here by Wednesday, right? I need it now. 
And this is the world that we live in, a world of now where um, just uh, you can talk to anybody in the world. I talked to uh, my friend who lives on the other side of the world by text message instantaneously earlier this week. I can connect, uh, I can get whatever kind of food I want now and have it delivered to my house. And I can get any kind of entertainment that I want in a moment's notice, right? I mean, I remember back in the day that if I wanted to watch Saved by the Bell, I had to be home at like 3.30 to be able to watch it in one of the reruns on TBS. And now our kids have access to every show ever created instantaneously, wherever they are, whenever they are. We live in such an instantaneous world, and we've been conditioned to have our needs and our wants met immediately. And we love that because we do not like to wait. We want our solutions to be quick, to be easy, and to be cheap, right? We want it now, we want it to be simple, and we don't want it to cost too much. And the truth is, that's what advertising tries to sell us. They say, all you have to do is take this pill, and if you take this pill, then then you're going to lose 10 pounds tomorrow, right? And we're like, ooh, sign me up for that. Because that is the world that we live in, and we do not like to wait at all. And so I think part of the thing that has made it really hard for us in the midst of this wilderness experience is that we want it to be over soon because we are so conditioned to get what we want when we want it. And let's be honest, what we want is now. Now, just a reminder that the wilderness is any experience that you are unsure of how to get out of it or what you will need in order to get through it. And so, of course, uh, in this global pandemic, we're all in this wilderness together, but, but probably each of us have our own wilderness experience that we're in as well. And kids, I know we've got school beginning, and so if you're watching at home or if you're in the room and you've got your piece of paper or your thing out in box one, I'd like for you to draw me an emoji, all right, of how you are feeling as the school year begins, all right? So, so draw me some of how you're feeling as this school year begins, and it's okay if you draw more than one as well. Because oftentimes when we enter into a wilderness, when we enter into this unknown, the wilderness is marked by confusion, by fear, by anxiety, and by despair. And so if we're struggling with confusion, what we need is clarity. If, we, if we're struggling with fear, what we need is faith to know that the next step is the right step. If we're, if we're feeling anxious, then what we need is peace. And if, what we need, if we're feeling despair, then what we need is hope. Now, the hard thing is, is that when the, we're in the wilderness and we're feeling despair and we're feeling all these things, we easily substitute wishful thinking instead of living hope, is that we are looking for things that will give us, that, that makes our wishes come true, but aren't really the living hope that God and only God can provide. Now, how do I know that something is wishful thinking? How do I know that, that, that if I'm in the wilderness and, and there's something that comes up that promises to be a solution, that promises to offer hope, whether it might be wishful thinking or whether it might be wish, um, living hope. Now, for wishful thinking, one of the clues is, it's, is, is what I want to hear. If it is this what I want to hear? So let me give you an example. I'm a 49ers fan, and, and uh, they've had um, many coaches over the past 10 years. And as they got a new coach, I was always very hopeful and wishful that this would be the coach that would bring the 49ers back to prominence. And so the one they have now is really good. He's actually who they say he is. But there were all these other coaches who, when they hired them, I would read all the articles about why this was the right coach for the 49ers, and I would ignore all the articles 
that talked about how this was a poor choice, which half of them ended up being pretty poor choices. Because I wanted to hear that the 49ers were going to win, and so I chose to listen to that. And often, wishful thinking is driven by what we want to hear. Now, we can see an example of wishful thinking whenever we, talk, whenever we look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and them, them choosing for what they want instead of what God wanted for them. And so to take you all the way into the garden, there's Adam and Eve, and God says this whole place is available to you. But there's one thing, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so what happens is, like a lot of us, um, they sort of found their way close to temptation, right? It's amazing how we do that. We find ourselves right by temptation, looking at it and seeing. And there the snake told Eve what she wanted to hear. You can be like God. This is really the great temptation of humans, is that you can be like God. And that's what she wanted to hear. I want to be like God. And so that's part of the wishful thinking, is it's what we want to hear. It confirms our bias. It confirms what we wish to be true. Now, another part of wishful thinking often is that it's marked by its ease. It is easy to do. And it's an easiest solution possible. And so for, for Adam and Eve, it was just Take a bite of this apple, and then you will be like God. That's super easy to do. Just do this, all right? And I think that that's part of it as well, is that oftentimes it's wishful thinking. We want it to be easy, all right? We may be deep into a wilderness, and we want the solution to be easy, way easier than often it is. And another thing that we want is we want it to be immediate. We want that whatever we do to be easy and then to fix the problem and the whole problem right away. And so that was the same thing with the apple. Not only was it easy to eat the apple, but it was immediate and then they got to be like God. And that is what so many things promise us, right? That in just two weeks, your life will be different. In, in one month, if it's a really big thing, your life will be different, or immediately you're going to start feeling better. And these are all ways in which we seek solutions to our problems from something that can't really solve our problem. And really, these are all manners of idolatry, all right? And in the wilderness, all right, in this time of life that's marked by confusion, by anxiety, by despair, all right, it's a prime time for idols to exist to rise to the surface because we want them and we are looking for answers and we're looking for answers now. Now, uh, there's a book by a, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. Um, he's written a lot of great stuff, uh, but he wrote this book um, called Counterfeit Gods that is all about idolatry. And this is what he says in the book about idols. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek, anything that you seek to give you what only God can. And this is what happens with idols, is that we put our hope in them because we want them to be true. Now, sometimes when we think of idols, we think of the idols that, that I mentioned in Scripture today. We think about this golden calf. So let me give you just a little bit of background of what was happening. So remember God's chosen people, the Israelites, and there would have been about two million of them strong, were being led out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so he had a pillar of, of fire by night and a cloud by day so that they would know which way to go. He had led them across the sea. He had split the sea and they walked right through it, right? 
And then they're coming on this journey to enter into the promised land. But while they are on that journey, they stop by the Mount Sinai. And so from about Exodus chapter 20 to about Exodus chapter 31, God is with Moses up on the, up on the mountain and giving the law. He is giving them not only the Ten Commandments, but he's also giving them all these other instructions, how to build the tabernacle and all sorts of other things. And so kids, in box two, I'd like for you to draw me a picture of Moses getting the, the Ten Commandments from God. And so the first commandment was, you shall have no other gods um, but me. And the second commandment is to not make any idols. Did you hear what it said? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or it is the water under the earth. And what he's telling them is, is I know that the other countries around you, I know that Egypt and, and the other places that you would have seen, they would have had these images of God. But he said, I cannot be imagined by an image. I made you in my image. You don't get to make me in yours. And so what he knew that people would always look for something that they could do and hold on to. And still, this is what happens. We are looking for something we can do and hold on to instead of trusting and waiting for God. And so there, God and Moses are up there. And meanwhile, the people are there and they are waiting. And so in Exodus 32, we get the second scripture that I read, which is when Moses came down off the mountain and literally, there they are breaking at least commandment number two, if not some other ones along the time as well. And so um, just imagine the anger that Moses would feel and God would, would feel um, as, as they find this. I mean, you know, parents, I think about, you know, you tell your kids not to do something and then boom, they're doing the exact thing you told them what not to do. Um, and he sees them with this golden calf. And this golden calf is an image all right, that the people used for God. Now, it, it seems strange. Why would they build a, a, a golden calf? That, that doesn't seem to be, um, if we were to make something godly, why would we choose a, a golden calf? Well, one reason that they would is because Egypt had a bull that was sort of their representation of God. Uh, um, the bull represented fertility, it represented strength, it represented these things of value and of importance. And so oftentimes what happens with idols is, is we look to the world around us and we see what, what somebody else is doing and we think, oh, maybe that will work for us as well. And so they built this golden calf and, and the calf um, represented those things just like the bull did of strength and of fertility. And what they believed in those days was that if you wanted God or a God to come near, if you built a calf, it would sort of serve as a footstool, an altar in which the presence of God would come. Now, mind you, they had the fire, they had the cloud, the presence of God was already with them. The manna was still coming every morning. They remembered and they had opportunities to see God's faithfulness. But they were tired and they felt abandoned by God. And maybe that's you today. Maybe some of you, you've, you're in a wilderness situation and maybe you've been there for not just weeks, but months, maybe even years. And you're like, God, like I was with you for a while, but now I'm tired and I don't know, like, where are you, Lord? I am tired of this wilderness. I need you. And I think for a lot of us, we find ourselves like the Israelites. We're like, whoa, whoa, you're over there doing something with Moses, but why aren't you doing something right here, right now? 
I'm hurting. Why don't you save me? And so what happens is, is that in the wilderness, we can feel abandoned, and our abandonment can cause us to go towards idolatry. And so we keep saying, God, can you give me what I want? Can you give me something now? Can you give me something easy? Can you give me something tangible? Can you, can you just solve my problem? And, and we miss the boat so often because too often we are waiting for God to give us what we want while God wants us to wait for him. We settle for the gifts of God instead of settling for the presence of God. We want the presence without the presence But the only way to really get the presence is to be with and to be still and to wait for God's timing in God's way. But instead, our eyes are open and we're not looking for the ways God has moved. We're looking for the next solution. We're looking for the next wish that we think might come true. And so this golden calf didn't represent God. It wasn't the one who led them out of slavery. It wasn't the one who provided manna. It was them, the Israelites, trying to make something happen when God was giving them a beautiful gift of the law above. And that is what idolatry is, is when we look for something and we seek salvation from something that cannot save us or something that cannot give us what we need. In that book uh, that, that I mentioned with Tim Keller, it says this, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. He goes on to say, an idol has such controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of our passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. What is it that is consuming you? What is it that that consumes your brain and your emotions? What is it that weighs on you? And I think it is we are all people who assign weight or, or amount of, of goodness to certain things. And there is certainly a good part of that. And having something is important does not necessarily make it an idol. All right? And, and one of the ways to understand that is the difference between sorrow and despair. This is the way he describes it. Sorrow is pain for which there are sources of consolation. Sorrow comes from losing one good thing among others so that if you experience a career reversal, you can find comfort in your family to get through it. Despair, however, is inconsolable because it comes from losing an ultimate thing. When you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there are no alternative sources to turn to, and it breaks your spirit. It breaks your spirit. And, and so sometimes there are things that, that they, they seem bigger than they are because we've made them bigger than they are. Sorrow is a normal thing, and we're all going to experience sorrow, but my hope is that we don't experience despair because we have hope, and our central part of our life is God. So what, so I, what I want to do is I want us to think about idols in our own life. Now, as we get to this next part, what's really important is for you to think about idols in your own life and not about idols in the life of the person sitting next to you or who you think should be listening to this sermon, all right? It's easy to see like, well, that person idolizes this, all right? This is about you right now. And so, so I want you to really do some inner work all right, and to think, God, what are, you, what are you teaching me? And so here's some questions that, that you can use to help identify. What is it that if you lost it would break your spirit, 
Not just break your heart, but break your will or your spirit. What consumes my emotional life? What causes me to get angry? What causes me to celebrate? What is it that consumes my emotional life? What provides my life with meaning? If I didn't have this, what would happen? All right, and so kids, as I'm going to share here, um, I'm going to invite you in box three to draw a picture of something that might be an idol in your life. And I can, um, we're going to talk about some things, so if you don't think of something right away, that is okay. Because as I was thinking about it, there's really, I'm going to say four big category of idols. This isn't an um, exhaustive list, and, and what you struggle with may not be up here, but there might be some big categories um, that we struggle with. And so the, the first is this idea of identity. All right, and sometimes idols are about identity. I am who I say I am. Now, we would say as part of the faith that we are who God says that we are. And one of the things that I believe is true is that, is that you are beloved, that you are worthy of love and respect, that you are worthy of redemption, that Jesus died for each and every one of us, and that the central part of identity is that we are loved by God. But oftentimes, we build our life, all right, on stuff that cannot handle it. Earlier we sang that, I will build my life upon the rock. It is a firm foundation, but so many of us build our identity on things that can be taken away or swept away. Now, there's lots of different ways, and you know me, right? So one of the first ways I think about is sports, right? We can build our identity on the team that we like, and so that when the 49ers lose the Super Bowl, we can be depressed for a week. Now, that wasn't the case for me, all right? That's one way I know I've grown. If you would have met young Aaron, young Aaron would have been crying still about the Super Bowl, all right? But now it's like, oh, they lost. That's too bad. But there are more important things in my life, right? But, but part of idols is that even good things can become ultimate things and can fail us. One of the things that I, I see for a lot of us is that we can idolize our kids, all right? We can idolize our grandkids, and that being a parent can become an idol. Because if I say that I'm a good parent, then, then I'm going to do things so that other people will think Aaron's a good dad, that that's an important part of who I am. And thus, if, some, if my kids do something, all right, I'm, I'm more upset about what it does to me and how it makes me look than what it is actually in their life. And so we can idolize our own children or idolize us being a parent. You know, one of the, the big areas of idolatry, I think, in the world, and we see it especially now, is politics, is, is that identifying ourselves as a Republican or identifying ourselves as a Democrat, identifying ourselves as an independent, that this is a part of our identity, um, can become a, a big thing for us one way or another. Does it control our emotions and how we are feeling about things? Sometimes our identity could be in this idea of beauty, that we have to look good, that we have to appear good. And so uh, maybe as we get older, we don't feel as good about ourselves because we don't look the way that we used to, right? Or if I'm having a bad hair day, then it can, it can take more of my emotions, all right? I struggle with that. My hair needs to look just right. I did go look back at some of our old videos, and when I was, there was no haircuts going on, I was like, oh my goodness, um, I really needed a haircut at some point in time, right? But sometimes we identify ourselves with how we look and how we come across. All right, I think control is a part of this. I am who I say that I am. And as long as I can control things, then I can be good. And, and things can go my way. And so I idolatrize being in control. Because that way, what I want to have happen, happens. 
All right, and I can, my will continues to get done. And so maybe you struggle with some identity issue that becomes an idol. And one of the things I want to say is, is I really think idolatry is more about a spectrum than it is an on-off switch. All right, that there are things that could become idols, I get closer to it, and that they might cross over the line, and I, and I start idolatrizing. And our goal is to keep things down here. Because again, things are important, but that doesn't mean they're ultimate importance. Now, another sort of way to think about idolatry is this idea of belonging. I am who I am with. And so many of us find ourselves so tied into this group think, right? So I think about this, especially for our our kids as they go back to school. And, um, you know, what are you willing to do to be part of the in crowd, to be part of your group of friends? What sacrifices are you going to make, all right, so that you can stay as part of the group? And that's one of the most challenging things, I think, for, um, for students is that there are some things that this group may want you to do that you say, that's not who I am, but in order to be with it, I've got to act, I've got to dress, I've got to behave a certain way, all right? And I don't think it's just true of our students, but I think it's true of all of us, is that we all can find ways in which I am who I am with, and I'm going to do whatever I can to fit in with the group of people. I am identified with this group. And that means that I have to behave, act, do something in a certain way. And so we're going to do whatever we can do to protect a relationship, all right? And I think part of this, even for adults, is this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, right? This, this status symbol, all right, that I have to be of a certain status so that I can belong in a community. I've got to drive a certain car. I have to live in a certain house. I have to wear a certain kind of clothes so that I can fit in. And that that drives us and that keeps us awake at night. Sometimes our idols are about our purpose. I am what I do. All right, this is the question we ask people, right? When we meet them, we say, hey, how are, who are you? And we say, oh, so what do you do? As if your job defines your completeness of who you are, that you are what you produce. And again, we find this in a lot of different ways. I had a friend who, um, while her husband was in seminary at Duke, she worked in the the counseling program there. Um, And and she said the first semester of college was so tough for people. And she said because everybody who went to Duke was in like the top 5 to 10% of their class. Now imagine if your whole life you've been a straight-A student. Your whole life everybody has told you, wow, you're so great at school, you're amazing, you do all these things, and then you go to a place in which it is impossible for everybody to be in the top 5 to 10% of their class. And she said so many people struggled with anxiety and depression when they got their first C, when there was other people in class who were doing better than they were because they felt that they were worthy as long as they were at the top of their class. Because they are what they do. You are the grades you produce. You are the status that you've earned. And that's just simply not true. We are more than what we produce. And our worth isn't in that. But even as adults, we could find that. That it's about our work. It's about our success. It's about how we feel. I am what I do. And so that's one of the things that's been challenging, I think, even in this pandemic. I know for a while I just preached to this camera. And after the service, you know, I, I, I really loved being out in the hall and you all telling me how great I was. 
That really meant a lot to me. I just thought, oh, thank you, thank you. That was a great sermon, wasn't it? Yes. And some of you would walk on by, and I just assumed you were busy because we got out late and you wanted to go to lunch, right? It wasn't because you didn't like anything, but I just sat there and I had no feedback. It was weird. All right. Now, Reuben and, and Caitlin and Kendrell, they were kind, all right, and they told me nice things. But, but a part of it is, for me, it was a little bit of a struggle because I am what I do, all right? And, and if I'm not preaching good sermons and I don't hear that feedback, if I'm not being successful, then who am I? Now, I think sometimes also it's about pleasure. I am how I feel. And that in this world, we seek pleasure in a great deal. And the world is really good at creating pleasurable experiences. And so what we want to do is that we want to have feelings that we like, right? So we're going to choose comfort. We're going to choose security. We're going to choose enjoyment because we think that's the way life is supposed to be. And there are some great things. I think God wants us to enjoy life, to have meaning in life, but to idolatrize it, to, to say the most important thing in my life is that I'm comfortable. Thus then, I'm going to do everything I can to have financial security so I will be comfortable. The most important thing in my life is to feel safe, so I'm going to do everything in my power so that I can feel safe and secure. It's this pleasure that drives so many of us and so, many, so much enjoyment that happens. You know, and I think that's part of, of what we, we have here is even with our phones, right, is, is, is we're going to play games or we're going to do something and it, 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 there's an enjoyment there. Social media has an enjoyment factor. They have figured us out as a world and they know exactly what it is for you to continue to use their app to continue to play their game. And so, so many of us, what, what happens is, is that these devices in front of us become a, an idol that we worship and bow down to because it consumes our time, it consumes our resources, it consumes our emotion because we want to feel a certain way. And sometimes that enjoyment is actually escape. What we're really wanting to do whenever we're in our idolatry is to escape the pain of this world. And so we, instead, of, instead, of, instead of working in the wilderness, we want to escape to our own place of safety, of comfort, and of pleasure. And that looks a lot of ways for a lot of people. All right, maybe, uh, maybe for some of us, we, we just play video games all day so that we don't have to think about what's going on in our world and that pleasure that comes from video games. And again, they figured out what we are wanting to do with it and how to keep us wanting to play more and more. But maybe it's addiction, maybe it's alcohol or pornography or something else that becomes a way of escape from waiting for God to move and the feelings of abandonment and instead just going for that feeling. Maybe it's making money and doing whatever we can do in order to feel that reward that comes in that way. But none of those will satisfy you. None of those will be enough. None of those will be like, ah, this is the way life is supposed to be now that I have this. They might help temporarily, but the nature of idols is that it wants more and more and more because that's the nature of addiction is that you need more and you need more and you need more and you need more and eventually you realize that it cannot meet your needs because what you need are not things, what you need is God. So hear these words from Jesus today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so in this midst of this wilderness, in the midst of this anxiety and despair and confusion, what Jesus is inviting is to be with him. Come 
to me, he says. Come to me. Can you trust me? Can you, can you wait for me? And so often what happens is, is that we're not good at waiting. Our world has made us terrible at it. We weren't good at it to begin with. Our world right now has made us terrible at it. And so what happens is, is that we linger with uncertainty. And lingering with uncertainty causes impatient waiting. And what happens is eventually we get impatient enough and we try to solve it ourselves. We say, God, obviously you're not going to move, so I must do it. But lingering with faith leads to rest. I mean, there's this sense of what, there's a difference, right? There are sometimes when, when I'm waiting and I'm just anxious and it's just like, all right, when are they going to call? When is this going to happen? When are they going to make a decision? And then there's other times when it's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not worried. I'm not stressed. I can go to bed. You know, actually sleep is one of the best signs of whether or not you have an idol or not. Because sleep is one of the ultimate signs of surrender. I think about, I think about our, our boys and just like when they were kids and like they didn't have a problem in the world, right? And they would just, they would just fall asleep wherever, right? And they just surrender. Surrender to the world and just be like, oh, life is good. I'm well taken care of. But here we are as people and, 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 and we're waking up in the middle of the night. We struggle to go to bed. We, we wake up early and we can't go back to sleep. Why? Because we have things in our mind and they can be important things and they might be just super important things, but we aren't trusting God with them. We're trying to control it. And so that we're not having lingering faith that says, you know what, Lord, I trust you. Can I give this to you? And can you give me rest? And so kids, in, in box four, I want you to draw a picture of um, Jesus carrying your burdens, what would that look like? And so in the wilderness, we have to believe that Jesus is the way and that he will lead us out of the wilderness even when we don't see the way. And he invites us to come and follow him. I mean, this is what he says in Matthew 16, 24. I think it's really important for us as people of faith to hear this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, this is really important because sometimes we think that following Jesus means life is good, all right? But Jesus tells us, take up my cross and follow me. Like, like this is a painful journey. It is a difficult journey. It is not going to be an easy, comfortable route when you're carrying a cross. But this is the journey that God calls us to, is to take up his cross and follow me. So what Jesus is telling us is that the wilderness journey will be difficult, all right? But the wilderness burden can be light. The journey of following Jesus means death happens, means suffering happens. When you choose to follow Jesus, it will not go the way that you want it to go because the way of the cross is the way of death. And you enter into places and you do things that you wouldn't otherwise do because you've said yes to following Jesus. But the good news is for us is not that Jesus makes an easy and immediate answer of getting us out in the wilderness but that as we go through the wilderness, the burden is going to be light. The wilderness journey is not easy, but the burden can be light. And there are some of us who have made the wilderness harder because we've refused to give our burden to Jesus. And we said, you know what, God, I got this. I've got to keep all these things in the air. I've got to do all this sort of stuff. I'm going to juggle as much as I can, and it's not going to be easy. 
But Jesus is saying to you today, give me your burdens and we'll take this journey together. It's not always going to be easy, but if you live the way I call you to, it can be light. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, my friends, we have choices. We, the world is going to give us all these quick and easy solutions that may provide a little bit of pleasure but won't provide the way out. Or we can follow the living hope of Jesus Christ who will carry our burdens and lead us along the pathway. And so I'm just going to give us a little bit of time of prayer. I invite you to pray at your seats, pray in your living room, or come pray at this altar. If you need to get on your knees at your house, you're welcome to do that. But as we go to God in prayer, just say, Lord, are there any idols? Are there any things that is stirring my emotional energy that's, that if I lost it, it would break my spirit? That as I struggle with something, maybe I've made it even a good thing, an ultimate thing. And maybe we just need to hand that over to God and say, Lord, I've been trying to use this to save me and it can't. So we're going to have this time of prayer. I'm going to open us up and then you're invited again, pray at your seat or the altar or wherever you are. And then we'll sing our faith about our living hope in Jesus Christ. So let us pray. So Lord, we do know that you are a good God. And Lord, sometimes we are just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it feels like we have been waiting and we're waiting for you to do something. And so instead of, of trusting you, we, we take it upon ourselves and we take it upon what the world offers that says, do it this way. And so, Lord, forgive us. Lord, may we just identify any idols in our lives and may we say, Lord, save me from this. And Lord, for those who have burdens today and maybe part of their idolatry is the sense that they have to do everything themselves, that they can carry the burden all by themselves, and their idol is their own strength. Lord, may you just release them from that thought today, and may they accept the invitation to come. To those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And so we offer ourselves to you this day and all the days to come. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.